0: All right, welcome back into there will be bourbon tonight. I am joined by a Sergeant First Class, retired uh, Larry Takel. He, hey, people. Yep, yeah, there he is. That's the man. He's also he is also a uh, you were the founder of Junkyard Tactical.
1: Yes, I am.
0: All right, so he's got that going as well. But the reason we're going to talk to him is not only the Junkyard Tactical stuff, which the shirt I am rocking right here. I have a great camera; it always gets my head. Junkyard Tactical. <laughs> um, but then also discuss like, over the course of this man's career, he was awarded the Bronze Star, a, a real Bronze Star, not, you know, the ones for sitting in the talk at a command level. And, that
1: was uh, one when I got that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then he was also awarded the Soldier's Medal, which if you don't know what the Soldier's Medal is, obviously we'll get into mm-hmm. that, but it is awarded for acts of heroism. So it's a real live hero we got here, folks. Um, before we do that, though, however, tonight... The bourbon I will be imbibing with is a classic. You know, nothing special, but it, it, it's solid. It's, it's, it's a good, solid go-to. It's, it's the, uh their small batch bourbon. They have a few bottles out there. But this is the bourbon. I like it. Um, like I said, nothing crazy, nothing special, but it tastes good, and it's going to fuel the discussion that me and Mr. Junkyard Tactical are about to embark upon. Sir, you ready to get this thing going? I'm ready. All right, so – no shit. Oh, there let, me, you let, me, let me crack my
1: grumpy. Oh, yeah. Here we go. We got, what do you got here? It's rumpy. Yeah. Rumpy. I know everybody's going to be laughing, but it's a uh, pumpkin barrel aged pumpkin ale. Spooky season Halloween. beer.
0: Yeah. So, so, uh, Brink and, uh, Joe Kent, they'll really like that. They're into the pumpkin ales and the, uh, well, Joe is definitely into pumpkin spice season. It has a really, has a really cool, uh. It is. Can. It looks like uh, some Nightmare Before Christmas type thing. Whoa, what's that dude's name?
2: Oh, Timber. it
1: out.
0: Yeah, let's see how that's going. Uh, it smells good.
1: <laughs> yep, tastes like pumpkin beer.
0: There you go, pumpkin beer. So <laughs> he's got the pumpkin beer. I've got the bourbon. Um, Maybe I'll try and make a pumpkin bourbon one of these days in my, uh, future bourbon making years that have not yet come to fruition, but they're coming. So, so let's start with where you're from. Where, where were you born? Are you, are you from Texas? Were you born there?
1: Yeah. I'm from Galveston.
0: Galveston. Okay. So how was that? How was that growing up?
1: I was there for like maybe two or three years. My dad was in Vietnam and he came back from Vietnam. Uh, He met my mom in Texas City, and then we lived there for a little while. Then we went to California. Okay. He was in the Army base there, and then he got out of the Army and got a job at Brown and Root. Oh, yeah, I know it well. Back before it was Kellogg Brown and Root, Root, which I actually worked for him for a little while I joined the Army. Um, But my dad traveled all over Texas, and we wound up in Waco when I was about 10 or 11. And I've lived in Waco all my life until, like, I joined the Army in 95. Okay. What made you join the Army? Well, in 1993, the Mogadishu happened. Yeah. You know, that, that set that set some wheels in motion in my brain. Um, But I was old, you know. <laughs> I wasn't that. You know, I didn't join the Army until I was 25.
0: Okay. You know? Yeah. So you no. were you were actually mature and
1: grown up and easy to yeah. train in basic training. I wasn't mature or grown up. <laughs> okay. I was in a punk rock band called the Casket Kids. The
0: Casket Kids, punk rock. All right. Hey, we gotta introduce you to Brink's band. I don't know if you know about them yet, but so the Casket Kids, how was that going? Was this like a serious endeavor or was this just you guys messing around and breaking instruments?
1: No, it was uh we, we were a Misfits cover band. Okay. Uh, the 80s 87 87 to 90 wow all right and uh, we played like college shows here in Waco and Baylor and yeah. robbed people of their kegs and showed up and, like, <laughs> play. we had like 13 original songs that we played plus a couple of misfit songs you know that's cool did you guys ever and record then, anything or you know then I, I got into theater okay and I joined this band called corn Pome. Were where you guys a? Like, oh wait, that's
0: way too early. So corn Pone? corn poem.
2: Okay. Southern,
1: southern dessert dish made of uh, cornbread and buttermilk and sugar. <laughs> anyway, so that was pop. this also a punk band or what? Yes, it was, was Southern about, okay. fried, Southern fried death rock
0: southern fried death rock was that an actual genre back in those days we created our own genre southern fried (laughs) death rock
1: yeah (laughs) and i played a i played a scarecrow named Cornelius the scarecrow who was like i wasn't the singer of this band i was a singer of cast kids but i was like the mascot background (laughs) singer and we had theatrics we had we created like it was kind of like guar if you know what guar is, yeah I,
0: I am familiar not much familiar with their music just familiar with their uh style
1: not guar these days because they suck now but before odorous young your died you know back in the day back in the 90s um they were very gory and yeah. just nasty sexual drug and fuel, stupid people um but we had a thing where we had this Latrusha the Mexican witch. She created Cornelius the Scarecrow to kill this punk band that was playing in a gen, the gin silo because it had electricity and they were stealing it and they were too loud and they were pissing her off. So <laughs> she brought the scarecrow to life in this cornfield in Waco, Texas, right? But she didn't know that uh, this badass motherfucker, he was uh, – a serial killer, he was tracking a, a serial killer down, right? And then you know he slipped up and the serial killer killed him and put him inside the scarecrow to hide his body. So when she brought him to life, brought him back to life. So he kind of rebelled against her and became friends with the corn poem. And so we have <laughs> each show, we have like a different character come down who tried to like one of Latrusha's minions, like the crowbot,
2: mm-hmm.
1: And I would fight him on stage and I would sing some songs and fight him. And we throw like cream corn and corn cobs and raw fish and noodles and all kinds of stuff out in the audience. And they just loved it. <laughs> so, was this like concept
0: style music? Like, did the songs kind of go along with what was going on in your guys' act or?
1: Yeah, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, okay. We, we were, a lot of our songs were about uh, Daisy Duke and the duke boy boss hog and the general lee and we had a song called my dixie wrecked (laughs) southern hardcore southern southern
0: southern fried death rock
1: yeah and is there any recordings of this stuff out there this is like pre yeah we have okay we have two seven inches and a demo tape you guys got to get that stuff online man that's been online for like Almost thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was gonna say, you know, this is this is pre uh pre Apple music and SoundCloud and SoundClick and all these crazy little sets and all yeah, so no, yeah I,
1: there's some stuff on YouTube right now that you know corn pwn, but not casket kids.
0: Okay, no casket
1: kids. Oh well, you guys gotta get the band back together one day or what? it's a little reunion tour? Yeah. Hey, I've been talking about um doing a collaboration, corn pwn casket kids thing since we're all back together and I'm not in the military anymore. Uh, doing something because my friend judd my friend Jud played guitar for the casket kids me and him have been best friends
0: mm-hmm. for the
1: last 40 years oh damn um we kind of grew up together in here in waco okay. and my all, all other friends live in austin and they're all in bands like real bands
0: yeah i was gonna say austin's a huge music town so kind of like nashville south
1: west exactly of, yeah they lost uh, a lot of money. The South, the COVID destroyed South by Southwest. Oh, really? Well, I mean, it doesn't
0: surprise me. Could, you know, at least just out here, what I observe, COVID's not exactly being kind anywhere. But yeah, I was curious then, with that. How's that? How's that gone for you guys? Where you're at in Texas? What's that been like?
1: Well, I haven't really noticed any change, really. Yeah. Except for I have to wear a mask when I go to the store, and I take it right off as soon as I get done.
0: Yeah. Is that really what? Is that mainly what's like? Nothing's really shut down, or is it just been, hey, wear a mask and?
1: Yeah, nothing's really shut down. I mean, the bars were shut down for a while, and the restaurants are shut down for a little while, but they, you know, they're all opened up. Everything's open right now. Yeah, it's. it's
2: you just got wear a mask.
0: It's it's yeah, it's not like that here, man. It's weird. It's just, it it's not even weird at this point because it's been going on so long that I guess people are, you know. What is it? You know, you adapt and you overcome Um, at least the County I'm in is is getting better, but the County I, uh, I I work in is, is not, it's trending in the opposite direction. But again, this is just, you know, it is what it is. I I already, I've already uh, theorized that if something happens next week that I don't think will happen, then magically we'll all be back to normal very quickly. Just in time for the Thanksgiving holiday season, but we'll see. Uh, Okay, so you joined the Army in 1995.
1: Um, I did. I went to to Missouri for my basic training. Okay,
0: Fort Leonard Wood.
1: Yeah. Um, And then I went to Fort Sam Houston for... For your medic stuff, okay. What made you become a medic?
0: What did you say? Why did you become a medic? Is that that what you wanted to do or was that, you know, did the recruiter sell you on that or what?
1: No, the recruiter, because my ASVAB, he said that I could pretty much have anything I wanted and yeah, I was, I was gonna say, you're to clearly dad.
0: smart, so that's good.
1: I could, my my dad said, don't be, don't join the infantry, which would I wanted to do. And then he said, you know, why don't you do something that, you know, you can, when you get out of the army, you, you can have a good career. And I was right. like, oh, well, I'll think about it, but I was really wanna go be a badass.
0: Yeah, was he infantry or was he drafted? What was he?
1: My, my dad was drafted, then okay. he, enlisted. He, okay. he then he enlisted, and he was a light wheel mechanic for some. Okay. Transportation company.
0: Cool, good deal.
1: Okay, so you go with medic.
0: Uh, what was your training like there at Sam Houston? I've heard enough stories over the years with medic training, but I was I was curious how it was probably in the '90s before things got a little. So different.
1: it was basic training was easy for me, but AIT was fun. Yeah, it. Um, I mean, once you get got past the hope you're in the army thing. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it was. Fun. Fun. the training was fun it was very something I'd never done before um, and I just I just fell in love with it yeah. I, I I joined the army originally for like just a four year just a four years I was just gonna do four years get college money and go go to college right uh, and then I basic training I mean I swallowed it hook line and sinker
0: <laughs> I think we all do in base training and that's then, where it hits man
1: <laughs> I, there, there, my, and then you know I was married at the time, and my wife's like, "So you're gonna get out of four years, right?" I was like, "Hell no! This is I'm like, this is this is what I want to do," you know. Yeah. And then you know my first duty station was Germany. Oh, I was in <laughs> I was in two two infantry, and I was a line medic with the uh, armor unit. They were armored infant, armored infantry with Bradleys and woman 3s and 577s seven sevens and all that shit. And um, I was just, man, I was just in love with all of it. Being out, you know, being out in the woods and the snow and training and training and driving vehicles and shooting guns and just doing everything the infantry does, right? Yeah. Yep. And then uh, uh Macedonia came up
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 163 Armor, our sister unit, was like, hey, we need medics to, we don't have enough medics, but we need to we need volunteers to go with us and then when you come back, you don't have to go to, you know, to 2 infantry's deployment. You can go now in the summertime and you'll miss, you know, the winter. So yeah. I was like, hell yeah, I'll do this and then I won't have to go in the winter, you know. So I volunteered with 163 armor to go to to Macedonia and it was with the UN we had to wear these fucking bright ass
0: blue helmets.
1: <laughs> Hold on a second. I got
0: it. yeah, no worries. We're talking with Sergeant First Class Retired Larry Tekel. He uh will eventually we're gonna get into the stories of his uh soldiers medal and his bronze star. And uh as he returns, he is taking us through his arrival in the good old Macedonian
1: Hey, hey look at this shit. Oh, what does he got? You know, Pussing out look the hat. This fucking thing is!
0: Oh shit, you had to wear the beret. <laughs> I thought you meant the helmet. Damn, you had the no, berets was-
1: and everything. Yeah, That's we legit. had Yeah, look at this. That's awesome, dude. We had berets, we had we made t-shirts. That's fucking this, awesome. This has been like folded up and stored in uh in my shirt yeah, I was gonna little. say
0: that was this was a while ago, 25 years.
1: <laughs> oh, oh there, there's my map. You see my map.
0: Oh yeah, because you know if you have an army shirt of a deployment, you have to have the map on it somewhere. Of where you were yeah
1: i was in a uniform five two which was on the side of the mountain overlooking serbia we kept like putting uh mortar tubes in place and trying yeah. to scare us and stuff <coughs> so how,
0: how long were you in in macedonia <coughs> nine months before. nine months okay so yeah i mean i've heard so much from guys that were in kosovo i mean there's still we still do rotations in the kosovo um i had a buddy who went to bosnia for for nine months um i've read stories of uh iron maiden you know one of my favorite bands when bruce dickinson was a solo artist was he went through into uh kosovo and bosnia for a concert and it talks about like having to get smuggled through the country essentially with the British military. Cause it was so dangerous.
2: What?
0: Yeah. Like there's just some really crazy stories about that. And I, I think, I don't think a lot of people understand because maybe it wasn't necessarily a, like a, like a combat war for the United States, but what was it like for you in terms of what you saw and experienced with the just the, that civil war and that conflict that was going on there?
1: Um, We were kind of separated the two.
0: Okay.
1: The Muslims and the Serbians, they wanted to kill each other. Right. Uh, so we just didn't let that happen. And we just watched both groups. And we did never, I, I've never intervened in anybody until I got to Bosnia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Macedonia was like a really chill deployment. I mean, I didn't live, I lived down in a the, in the mountain. We cooked our own food and it was like 10 guys living on the side of a mountain. Yeah. With missile site for a, for a lookout. And we had that the very first uh, blue force tracker. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Plugger. And we would use, we, we trained on how to use that uh, stupid shift for a long time. And then uh, we, we actually use it in the field. Mm. You know, it was great. Uh, I can see where everybody was on, on the plugger and then on the the big ass computer screen they had back then. Uh, So it was like an introduction to that. And then a lot of my skills were put to use because, you know, the the medic's always the the safety guy or the health and welfare guy or the, the guy that does everything about cleanliness. (laughs) Oh, field
0: sanitation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I was in charge of the water. You know, there's like 5,000 gallons of water that we get every two weeks and it had to be we had to maintain the chlorine levels
2: mm-hmm.
1: taking showers and all that stuff and actually you had you got confined space certified because you had to go inside the metal tubes yeah. and wipe them out you know and you couldn't do that without like a a rope tied to your waist
2: mm-hmm. and a
1: mask and um, so that got me into the safety thing so you know i I have a degree in, in safety also and a degree in art and advertising um, prior to joining the military. So a lot of yeah. that stuff helped me out when I was like, oh, I'll, I'll volunteer to go ahead and do that because I already know what, what I'm doing. Nobody has to recreate the wheel.
2: Right. But
1: it was fun. And then, you know, I came back from um, Macedonia and then my unit was like, hey, we're going to Bosnia. Okay. And I was like, what, do I have to go? <laughs> I just I'm got back. Just back. And they're like, oh, yeah, you have to go. And I was like, oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll tell my wife that I'm going <laughs> to Bosnia. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I went to Bosnia, and it was like a different world. It wasn't, it wasn't like Macedonia at all. It was, uh, we interacted with people a lot. Yeah. And i tell you a story. Um, it's my first introduction to head wounds, what was in uh, Bosnia? Okay, and we were at an op uh, in between. It was in Berchko. You know where Berchko is?
0: I don't know. I was never there.
1: Do you ever heard of the Berchko Bridge riots? Uh, vaguely. I'm not super familiar. Well, during the Berchko Bridge riots, uh, we shot a round from a. Um, we, they were rioting, and we shot a yeah. round from from a bradley into a, an abandoned building to quiet everybody down and they got over their radios and loudspeakers and said that we killed all these people and we assassinated some high-level guy <laughs> which was not true right so they rioted and they they broke through the the constantino wire and jumped over and started attacking all of the soldiers at the Birchco bridge and one of my soldiers got hit in the leg with like a uh, two by four with a nail in it
0: oh damn
1: Shut yeah block. and I, I say he's my soldier but he, he was the same rank as me but it was yeah. in my right. little unit um but i was down in an op with this lieutenant and the interpreter and four bradley's and they were going to do like a figure eight there are two rallies go one way, two rallies go the other way and they crisscross and they come mm-hmm. back and they crisscross and we do it for 8 hours mm-hmm. and the lead, the medic and the lieutenant and the interpreter and and, and an interpreter at, at the checkpoint and we're checking vehicles and stuff um, i see this guy running down the road he's run, on the serbian side he's running towards us he's running for his life i see like i see 10 or 15 people chasing him you know And the closer they get, I noticed that they have pitchforks and axes and two by fours and big old tree branches. And and they're trying to kill this guy. Mm -hmm. The closer he gets, I see blood running down his face and his shirt's all bloody. And I'm like, I'm like, damn, sir, this guy's this guy's fucked up. We can have to do something. I told the interpreter, I said, hey, get out. Tell that guy to come over here and so I can treat him and and we'll save him so the interpreter's yelling at him the guy runs over here he's got slash marks all over his neck where they try to slit his throat uh his head's all bashed in he's got bruises all over his face and he's got a piece of fucking brick stuck in the back of his skull shit. like the corner like they smashed yeah, yeah. they tried to smash his head in and it broke oh, off man. and this and dude's he got just around yeah and then he was drunk as fuck too
0: well that's yeah that's probably why he's conscious yeah. <laughs>
1: So I, I did some like bulky bandage on his head, you know, I didn't want to let his brains fall out. And I treated all of his uh, lacerations and racked him up real good. And I called in the bird. I called, I called the commander that so, I wanted to call in a bird. And the commander said, no, because it's a civilian. And did we, did, did we injure the person? And I'm like, no, the Serbians did. He goes, well, you need to contact the mayor uh, the mayor's. The Muslim village. Oh, okay. Get them to go take him to the hospital. And I was like, "Well, fuck! I don't know if they even got one. I don't." (laughs) So I told the interpreter, "Run over to the Muslim village, get somebody, get this guy out." And they they did. And but before that happened, this is where this is the funny part. So I'm treating the guy right, and I'm intense. All these people are starting to gather around me with the axes and the pitchforks and shit, and. I'm like, tell these motherfuckers get back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bust a cap in them. I'm going <laughs> to shoot them. Let them know I'm going to shoot them. I will shoot them in the fucking face. Tell them exactly how I said that. <laughs> and so they didn't move. You know, So I, I pulled my nine mill out and I, and I racked it. And then they started to move back and stuff. And I thought, I said, okay. So now they know i mean business. So mm-hmm. I put the safety back on my weapon. I put it back in my holster. And they started to spread out. Like, I I thought I had done something, right? But the Bradleys were coming back. (laughs) (coughs) They could hear the Bradleys come back. So, anyway, it all worked out. They all dispersed, and the guy went into the hospital. So, why were they chasing that dude? Do you ever find out why? So, the interpreter said that he had gone down to the Serbian village and got drunk on Dothraki. (laughs) And started talking shit. And so... They got into a fight, and then they tried to kill him, and he ran.
0: Oh, okay. So to be clear, the Dothraki, not the Dothraki, like the Game of Thrones.
1: No, it's the drink.
2: Yeah. I like potato.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So that was – and that was all within what, like your first two years of being in the Army or what? Yeah. That's, that's – yeah. So that's, that's – yeah, most people didn't get that experience, man. That's pretty awesome that you were able to – Kind of get that so so young in your career, even though you were a little older than the average soldier. So I'm yeah, sure that I was probably my, exciting for I you. I got
1: my first ARCOM that day.
0: Did you? <laughs> yeah. There you go. So that was for treating that guy? Yeah. Nice, man. That's awesome. So that's, Okay, so... <laughs> So so throughout your time there in Bosnia did you did you understand what the hell was going on or were you just more kind of concerned with your personal mission and your unit's mission or were you trying to actively kind of figure out like what the hell is going on here because if no, you
1: keep it I, I had a pretty good understanding of what was going on like on the first day. Yeah. I mean you got to go through all this training just like when we went to Iraq we went through 6 months of prep. To even right. be certified to, to go to Iraq, like NTC and JRTC yeah. and all that stuff, um, which is very detailed in, in, in the mission and taking everybody's mistakes and putting them into, into play, mm-hmm. learning from their mistakes. And it was the same way in, in Bosnia, too. They had all this. We, we trained for IEDs because um, that was one of our missions. We, we would do foot patrols with uh, interpreters and, and people that like from the former armies, they weren't like carrying weapons or anything, but they were there saying, hey, you know, back in the day they planted bombs over in this area. Right. We were, we were looking for minefields yeah. and explosives hidden in doorways and shit like that. We found, we found a few and, you know, I walked through a minefield and we didn't know it was a minefield and uh, the platoon sergeant oh, was like true. hey we're walking through a minefield I'm like you're just what the fuck
2: Yeah. how right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you nice. not know this <laughs> I'm not a PNC right so I'm just like the, the platoon sergeant's supposed to know what the fuck he's doing mm. so if the platoon sergeant said do something you do it because you just automatically assume that motherfucker is straight right? but after that day it was like maybe platoon sergeants don't know exactly what the fuck they're talking about <laughs> it was like in the fucking movies you know they had to, we backed out on our footprints yeah and went and went another way and then we're then when we backed out we saw that it was it was tagged off
0: so you guys <laughs> so you guys so it was tagged and you guys just missed the tag and, and exactly and, yeah i mean i
1: did not know it was because you know when they put the white tape around the area it kind of just blows in the wind
0: right so you didn't like know what it was yeah
1: and there's so right. much trash in bosnia right. blowing around you really couldn't see it but you're supposed to know that it's there yeah. because it's spotted on the fucking map right and young pfc medics don't get to look at the platoon sergeant squad leaders <laughs> you know yeah it's just like hey so that's you're, interesting you're a medic, man. right you're going with us it's, okay roger so, so you A-Bag. mentioned
0: you mentioned IEDs. so was that did you did you know what an ied was before you went there or is that something yeah. You learned? yeah I remember not, I didn't learn what the hell they were until really the insurgency kicked off in Iraq in 2003. So I was just curious when you guys learned that terminology and whatnot. It wasn't like,
1: I just assumed that everybody knew. Yeah. Because an improvised explosive device. Right. Now, that's what we called them. We didn't call them IEPs.
0: Yeah. You
1: call them booby traps. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> that's true.
1: Okay. Yeah. No, all right. You make sense. Booby traps. Landmines and, and shit yeah. like that—we we call them. But they, when the technical term for them was improvised explosive device, because yeah. they set them in doorways. And, you know, when we go in and check a a, a building, you know, they usually have the, the the bomb facing downward. Yeah, and so we had we had EOD with dogs and all kinds of shit. I got pictures of all that shit. But anyway, you know it. It was a it was a good deployment. I got to learn about camaraderie, uh, yeah. living in the living in the tent cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a cool story about this Bosnia too because I got in trouble big time.
0: Um, <laughs> we like trouble around here. Go for it. I
1: uh, I was one of those guys that was like questioning why we're doing what we're doing.
0: Mm. So you were or a millennial <laughs> before
1: the millennials. Well, I, I question it. <laughs> I questioned it with the, with a tactical mind because right yeah um, because after that you know walking through that landmine, yeah. I you know I didn't trust yeah. our majors or our colonels either you know because mm-hmm. who the fuck they're just the same as me <laughs> they've never been here before they don't know shit right and um, so anyway this is funny so we had these tents right and you know morale is a big thing yep and when you're living in a tent city you, you your tent are 11 guys that's in that tent they form you form like a gang yep right so we had we were the strongest domino team you know <laughs> nobody could beat us and we had two guys that were like legends of dominoes and copy you couldn't yeah that
0: was our thing because i had a whole unit of puerto ricans with me and that's what we played yeah, so
1: we had we had a, a puerto rican guy and we had yeah. the southern black guy in there and they were, they taught me how to play domino. They taught me how to play bones. Yep. So I had to uphold, you know, the reputation. Right. And I walked outside of Rockers Island, is what we called it. <laughs> and when you come through our door, you told a lie. <laughs> I mean, entering Rockers, you know, we had a Petusan that was living with us. That was, he was like Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so we are living ha- happily in our tents. Yeah. And then we get this word that uh, we can't have – everybody can't have their own fan. Everybody can't have their TV, video game, uh, console centers. Because we, we we were the first ones to build a deck on the back, you know, because we had a carpenter that lived with us. There you go. He, he built this, uh, a fantastic deck with a bench that lined it. And a built-in table where you can play dominoes, and the yeah. table wouldn't fall and it wouldn't break apart,
2: uh-huh.
1: right? It was four dominoes, and we were we were like the, the baddest kids on the street. <laughs> so then they came down and talking about we have the hallway has got to be clear, and you're only allowed an eight by eight style, and you can only you can't have all this built up stuff because we had built up we had our own rooms. Yeah, we exactly. go to the to the shit to the yard and pick up scrap wood, and we would make all kinds of shit, right? Like you're
0: supposed to. You're supposed to improve your foxhole, and that's what you were doing.
1: Exactly. So we had we had the best. We had the best. Everybody wanted to come over, hang out, you know, and then and then lose at dominoes.
0: And then, <laughs> but someone got jealous along the way and reported this someone up. Got,
1: someone got jealous, I guess. Yep. And it was, absolutely. It was the There's, always that,
0: There's always the one. There's
1: always one. The that ran the uh, lieutenant colonel Greer.
2: Oh, right, one, call, call him. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> he knows he knows where the story's going because he, he loves me he loves me now um so there i was you know i'm like fuck this shit i'm gonna write to stars and stripes oh damn this, <laughs> this is not good you know we want to live like we want to live we want to have morale and all this stuff so i wrote the stars and stripes and i said i'll use the quotation marks that they you know don't understand how we live camaraderie and we, we, we want to, you know, basically improve our surroundings so we can live like we're at home. Because right. we, we were off for eight-hour foot patrols. Mm. We would come back to something that we want to stay in.
0: Exactly. You
1: yeah. know? And these, they are living in their tubes. They're living in mm. Conexes with air conditioners and fucking beds with mattress springs. <laughs> right? And I was like, fuck y'all. That's bullshit. <laughs> You can't be having an air conditioner in your own fucking room with a bed, an actual bed with mattress springs, and tell me how to live. But I'm sleeping on the fucking cot.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. So I got this stuff. Anyway, so three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> they get a knock on the door, right? And of course, you know, I'm sleeping by the door. So I say, toe the line. <laughs> I say, toe <"Till> the line. Because <laughs> you have to toe the line when you come in our. Our <laughs> and it was Colonel Greer coming in. It was Colonel Greer, and Colonel yeah. Greer stepped through, and he said, "I need to speak to to uh, Besler, to Tico." And I was like, <laughs> "Hey, that's 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 me. Who's who are you?" He goes, "I'm Lieutenant Colonel Greer. I'm Tiger Six. I need you to follow me." And I was like, "Tiger 6
2: what?
1: So I'm, um, I, I don't. Tiger Six. Holy shit, Tiger Six. He's the commander of the base.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So. May or so. I can't find I can't, I can't find my glasses, and I'm I'll grab the first pair of glasses that I have, and they're they're the BCG sunglasses. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's three o'clock in the morning. So I put I put them on, and I follow C- Colonel Greer outside, and the commander's there. And I'm like, "Good morning, sir. How how you doing?" He goes, "Keep walking." I was like, "Oh." What the fuck's going on? I thought maybe somebody died. You know, right, I was like, yeah. they're taking me, taking me away from everybody to tell me that somebody had yeah catastrophically killed back at home. Right. You know, and so I, I have my glass, have my sunglasses on. And I'm following Colonel Greer, and he he looks around, he looks back at me, and goes, "Take this radio," and I and I took the radio. He goes, "You're you're Tiger Six now," <laughs> and I said, uh, "Okay, sir." Ask Tiger 6, I want to know what the hell's going on. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to tell you what the hell's going on. Follow me to my office. So, follow him to his office. And he goes, why do you Why do you have those sunglasses on? And I'm like, well, sir, they're not sunglasses. They're they're prescription. They're my BCDs. I couldn't find the other one. I'm sorry. This is all I got. I can't see without them. He says, do you know why you're here? And I'm like, honestly, sir, I, I do not know why you're here. You're here because you're you're the bat- battalion commander now. <laughs> I looked at my commander, and my commander had a shit face on, and I was like, "Fuck!" I'm like, "What did I do? To do- I mean, what did I do? W- what's going on?" He goes, "Do you remember riding to starting strikes?" And I was like, oh. "Yes, sir."
2: <laughs> he goes,
1: "Why didn't you come and talk to me first? And then I would explain to you that." We have to obey fire codes. We have to do, I'm, I'm stressed out. I have to do all this shit. And then you come along and write this note and then everybody's getting off. And then I was like, well, I didn't want anything for myself. I just wanted to make sure that y'all understood that we were living right. And we, 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 we came back from our eight to 12 hour foot patrols and we relaxed. He goes, I understand that more than you know, but still, I mean, from now on, you're, you're going to be tiger six and you're going to make all the decisions. You're going to live in my tube. What my air conditioner is broken, by the way. So you're not going to have an air conditioner. (laughs) And I gave my bed up to a Lieutenant. So you're going to have to sleep on a cot. And I was like, well, you know, I did, I don't want to change nothing. Cause then I'm not trying to ask for favoritism or anything like that. And, some more shit was said, I can't remember, but it all boiled down to, he's like, okay, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to be my medic from now on. Mm-hmm. You're going to go on every patrol that I go on. You're going to go meet with all these people that I go meet with. And then you're going to be my medic. So if anything happens, you better have your shit wired tight because I'm going to be looking at you. And I was yeah. like, Roger, sir. He goes, I said, when do I start? He goes, tomorrow morning, zero six. And I was like, oh, that's like in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i got up i got up and, and and i did it and he had this humvee that was tricked out with this um built-in um cooler with uh, full of ice he had snacks and sodas and he had he the hottest interpreter that you could ever imagine of course he did i'm talking about morticia adams hot <laughs> morticia
0: adams that's a random reference
1: oh my gosh she looked like you know, like a healthy, well-rounded M- Morticia Adams. And I got to sit by her all the time. Good for you. And all my buddies were jealous because I hung out with her at the gym. She loved me. We hung out together all the time. I mean, I was married and she was married. But we still, we were friends and everybody was yeah. jealous. Everybody thought I was doing something, but I wasn't. But anyway, I got to hang out with her and I was like, hey, hey. and <laughs> I'm going to the gym with big boobs, you know. Um, <laughs> but. I learned, I learned a valuable lesson there because uh, the, I was supposed to go to the E5 board uh, there. It yep. was supposed to be really easy. I was supposed to just, you know, walk in and go, hey, you know, I'm spec- you know, specialist promotable with skill and I'm here to get my E5. And it didn't work out that way because the Sergeant Major, you know, the colonel's counterpart, uh, he came up to me one day. And he goes, so I hear you're uh, going to go to the E5 board. And, I, you know, I went straight to parade rest, and I said, yes, Sergeant Major. It's happening in like 15 days. He goes, No, it's not. (laughs) I was like, Okay, sorry, Major Roger. (laughs) 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 I I went until my first sergeant, and my first sergeant was like, Yeah, I was going to bring that up to you and, uh, (laughs) you know, lighter than he did. But yeah, it's it's a no go. It's a no go. And I was
2: like, Yeah,
1: fuck i did something very similar mistakes you know
0: yeah i did something similar once in uh we were drill sergeants at fort knox when they were shutting that down in 2011 and we were living in barracks that were basically condemned and uh this was when twitter was fairly a new thing and i tweeted at the u.s army the big u.s army page at the time of like all of our barracks conditions, a video, all this uh-huh. stuff about our command sergeant major who nobody, he just, he was not a very well-liked guy. And uh, so we were at Fort Knox, we were in these, you know, barracks that were set to be, you know, knocked down during the whole base reconstruction and closure BRAC plan back in 2011. Yeah. And uh, he was living at the post hotel on base. Oh, <laughs> and so, oh. yeah, it was, it was funny. Cause I just tweeted it out. It was like a little fire and forget message. Like, ha, ah, it's funny. Look at that. And then literally the next day, I had a I had the, the regional support two-star sergeant major, command sergeant major come down, the post-command sergeant major, and another command sergeant major, I can't remember who he was. He came down, the three of us, or the three of them grabbed me, grabbed my sergeant major, and grabbed my first sergeant and had us all in there and, and had him explain why he's living in a hotel when his soldiers are living in these barracks. And the problem was, it was kind of like what you did. Like, it was, it was, the idea was to just make things better for everyone, but it kind of backfired in a way that, yeah, yeah, he moved out and moved into the basement of our barracks, but it turned into a huge, uh, basically, GI party where we all, everybody, people that I didn't even want involved, you know, I was just, yeah, we all had to clean everything, like, literally that whole weekend.
1: If I'd have been with you and been your friend, I would have said, Hey, you know, back in 97 I did the same thing, dude. You don't want to do it. You don't do, <laughs> you don't it. Want
0: to do it. You're right.
1: Don't do it. You're just yeah. gonna fuck yourself
0: <laughs> up. This is the Twitter version of of that that letter to. So you should go back into the Stars and Stripes archives and see if that letter somewhere or see if that episode or that issue of the Stars and Stripes is in their their online archive and see if you can pull dude, it Dude, I
1: got the actual paper somewhere, right? <laughs> I
0: saved everything
1: from my military career.
0: That's awesome, man. All right, so there you go. Okay, so you got that. You did that. You got to be Tiger Six. Now you're back. Uh, let's fast forward on to Iraq. Yeah. So is Iraq when you when you were awarded the Soldier's Medal? Yep. So okay. I mean,
1: I'll, I'll start at the uh, 2003. 2003 okay. was like the wild fucking wild west. You yes, know, it and was. We shooting funny. everybody was getting killed. Yeah. We were killing motherfuckers. I lost my best friend. Uh, we were roommates and. We went to Iraq together, and I was in one, two, three. We were both in one, two, three infantry. So you were in Biap, right? Well, everybody goes to Biap. Yeah, no, I mean,
0: so because I just remember one. Was that part of First Armored Division?
1: No, it was uh, Second ID.
0: So okay, 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 okay. Third Third Brigade, Second ID. Okay, so you guys came from Korea?
1: No, we were in uh, Port Lewis.
0: Oh, you were in Lewis, okay? Because I I do remember the 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 guys from Korea coming because they were the first ones with the Strikers. But anyway, go ahead. All right.
1: Uh, so we, we, we got there and they needed some 114 CAV, which is one of our sister units in the third brigade, needed infantry soldiers or they needed, you know, gunner, gunners or whatever anyway. So Sergeant the man had to go with them. And, you know, we saw each other at the chat hall and we'd hang out and stuff like that. And then, you know, one day they, they went up patrol and he got ambushed, he got shot in, his, in the gut, like underneath his
2: plate.
1: Right underneath his plate. Yeah. Yeah, he got shot like seven times and Same he got up. killed. Um, that was kind of an eye opening thing because yeah. that was like my first real loss. Um, now, before, uh, before Iraq, I was in BNOC and mm-hmm. I came home and I was missed. Our Iraq deployment with everybody else like by two months. So, me and Demand were um, in the reserve unit.
2: Yeah, kind of fails, but the, the rear, rear
1: detachment. Yeah. Rear, rear detachment. We yeah. were awaiting our, our shit right. to go to Iraq. Yeah. We were roommates. So we were both divorce and we both had kids and we flip flop And I had my kids one day. He had his kids one day. Yeah. And then I'd, I'd I'd leave and he would, you know, have the room all to himself or whatever. We just did and we drank beer um all the time. But we did uh, We we lost two soldiers right off the bat in Iraq. Well actually three. Due to a vehicle rollover into the mud, and their bodies came back, and I had to pick them up in Dover. Um, yeah, okay. So we were all part of that that detachment that went to Dover to pick up the bodies, and we escorted them back to their respectful home addresses. And then we left for Iraq, and then Iraq was a big, you know, shoot them up, gun fest, and yes, learned is. a lot. Learned a lot of shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, learned O3, a lot of
0: 03 was a very interesting time
1: learned a lot about you know trauma and triage that triage is full of shit because you're just saving everybody so i was gonna say so you because i remember
0: because I, I i do remember going to combat lifesaver school after pretty much so I went in 2008 while I was at drill sergeant school and I remember the instructors and my buddy who was combat lifesaver certified with third ID. And he was in, he was, he was there, he was their CLS certified guy and he was an infantry dude in his squad and they went in OIF too. And he said the stuff that they did was completely different from the CLS training that we were getting at the time. And it kind of goes yeah. into what you were saying. So you, you, it was no longer triage. It was, you, you saved everybody. Right. So, but what was the big thing you guys noticed in terms of treating on the battlefield in Iraq.
1: It was so quick. Yeah. The the amount of time you, I, ne- I never gave anybody an IV.
0: Right. And uh, that's what they were teaching us. And then that went away because we were right. doing it wrong. And you know, people like me who take yeah. four times to get an IV and you're bleeding out. It's like, you don't yeah. want me doing your IV, man.
1: <laughs> it was load and go, load and go. Yeah. Cause you're back in, you're back in the fucking rear within five, 10 minutes. Yeah. Depending on traffic, right? Every casualty, every casualty that we took made it in 2003.
0: That's awesome, man. We, that's that's fucking
1: crazy. Uh, there was a black, I want to say Blackwater. Uh huh. Yeah. Group. We, me, and my buddies had just dropped off a casualty. He was sick or some had some kind of pancreatitis bullshit going on. I don't yeah. know, but we he was hurting, so we took him to the uh, the main hospital. We dropped him off, and we were waiting for his results and shit and this black suv two of them come roaring into the back and, they're and they slide and they're uh, you know everybody gets out and they're like they're yelling and shit and they grab this dude out of the back of the vehicle and bloody as fuck and they throw him, and this litter comes out and they're uh they throw him on this litter and one of their buddy one of his buddies jumps on top of him and starts doing cpr and shit and then i'm like dude Fill the holes before you do the CPR. Because mm-hmm. blood was just squirting out of him yeah. and shit. And so that one of the medics that ran out there, you know, got the dude off and started, you know, putting pressure on all the wounds, all the gum yeah. wounds and shit. That, that dude died.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That dude died. Like right in front of us. Um, but, and then the the Blackwater dudes were acting all like, you fucking did it, fucking that, fucking. You can't save my fucking friend, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna say nothing, but you are doing CPR on your buddy and you probably squeezed out all the fucking bloody ad left. Yeah. So why do you wanna talk shit about people that actually were doing what they're supposed to be doing? Anyway, so we kind of just left that one we yeah. back to the, went back to the, our cop blick. That's where I was.
0: Yeah, but No, that's true, though, because I don't think I think so much came out of the first three to four years in Iraq that just really influenced not only CLS training, because we're not supposed to be as proficient as you guys who are actual medics. We're just supposed to be, you know, the the buffer until you get there, essentially. Right. You know what I mean? Like we're supposed to do the basic shit until guys like yourself show up who know what they're doing. And I just know how much those tactics changed over a few years in Iraq.
1: Yeah, there was a big controversy about tourniquets being yeah. used. Yeah. Um, but kind of, kind of find out that I mean, I can put a tourniquet, and they, they still have that arm.
0: Yeah, because so you know you it's came about, in, you came in about seven years before me, but I remember in base training they said, hey, we were never supposed to put on tourniquets, right? And then if you did, the last resort. Yeah. Last right. Resort. And then you were supposed right. to put it like two points
1: above the wound.
0: Right, and then it then it shifted to put it at the highest point on like below the joint, right, or something. No,
2: no, I, no, I thought
0: was so like if I if I had something on my arm, they said put it up at the the top on the artery to clamp the artery, like way above. Does that sound oh, right?
1: Well, they might talk about putting pressure on like your brachial artery or something.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Not a tourniquet, right? But raising your arm, like if you got shot in the elbow, yeah, you know, and you're bleeding, you put pressure on that womb, and then you raise it up, and then you pressure on your brachial artery right there to stop yeah. the flow of the bleeding. But, you know, and a medic comes along and goes, Hey, this guy needs a fucking tourniquet. Well, i put it on right. right. But now it's tourniquets and go.
0: Yeah, tourniquet everything, right?
1: Yeah. So everybody's wearing fucking four tourniquets in their uniform now. <laughs> you know, two two for their buddies and then one for themselves.
0: Right, right.
1: And when I went to Iraq my last tour of duty, you know, they were thinking about having these uniforms with tourniquets already embedded in them. Yeah. And then all you had to do was pull it, and it cinched mm. down, and all you had to do is twist it. But I mean, we never got those. But let's go back to 2003, learning all the trauma shit, and getting yeah. really heavy into the blood and, and, and the gore, and seeing a bunch of fucking death, destruction, and not really phasing you there. So then 2006 rolls around, and um, now I'm in 114 cab. Because uh-huh, I got a yeah. staff sergeant, and I got my own treatment uh, squad. So it was me, the PA, and the platoon sergeant. We're pretty much running the treatment side, and we had a guy that ran the uh, trauma side and the line medic side. Yeah. I ran the A station. That was my job. I was running mm-hmm. the A station. Uh, I wasn't going out in the wire. I was chilling. I had, you know, I had sit call at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'd kick you out if you are fucking full of shit. And if you really <laughs> have something going on, I, I took care of you. Mm. Uh, and then that was at Five Falcon. Uh, yeah, I know that one. Then right. Five Falcon <laughs> blew the fuck up. Yeah, Blew up, like every square inch of that place blew up because they hit that ammo dump with the Sable rounds and all the ammunition was going off and it killed mm. all those uh, Indian guys. And then on the news, <clears> the news <throat> said we evacuated, but I'm sitting, I'm hunkered down in my little hole in the wall listening to mortar rounds come in because they think they got a good shot and they're just going to keep pounding us. Right. Mm. So I'm, I'm, we're watching CNN fake news is what you're saying. We're we're watching CNN and they're like (laughs) the third brigade, second, uh, infantry division, 114 striker brigade, you you know, evacuating five Falcon because, and then they're showing the pictures. And I'm like, Holy shit. It looks like that outside. You know, I'm like, (laughs) Where who are these people that are fucking leaving? We're not leaving. Why can we're not leaving? You know, it's like, and everybody's just like, stay, stay put, don't go outside, you know. Stay in your rooms. We have sandbags upon sandbags upon sandbags. Mortars aren't getting through. You know, just you're just gonna have to wait it out. And then those reactive like howitzers were throwing motherfuckers out. Mm -hmm. And then so that. We spent the night like that. And then we woke up and then we had to do hands across, you know, five Falcon and picking up, yeah. you know, unexploded ordnance and shit. And then so we moved. We moved to the green zone. We moved to Union Three. Oh, yeah. And I got my first like full aid station building. And I was like, yeah, I'm making this shit. This is, I'm running this shit. This is, I got a badass room, you know, it locks and I got my own internet. I'm chilling, mm-hmm. right? And I'm still holding sick call six o'clock in the morning, and so I'm off. I'm off that day. I'm. I mean, it's. I'm off because it's. I've already did my eight hours or whatever. So I'm in my t-shirt, pretty much my flip flops, and I'm chilling by the. Uh, I'm chilling by the smoking area because I'm smoking. Right. I'm cigarette,
0: real quick. No, do what you gotta do, man. <laughs> Plenty so,
1: of
2: time.
1: <laughs> I. uh this is the story right here, so um, I see smoke, and I think, you know, Alpha Company Barracks is on fire again, because Mm -hmm. the assholes don't know how to turn off their air conditioners, and it shorts out, and it starts a fire, right? So, Mm -hmm. and then I'm thinking that, and I'm like, I hear this blood-curdling fucking scream that, you know, your, your worst nightmare conjures up. And so I run toward it, and It's this little girl. It's this nineteen-year-old female named Marisol Heredia.
2: In the
0: yeah, okay. She's a fueler. Fueler, gotcha.
1: So she comes into my A station all the time and gets frozen water and goes and fuels up the generator. Yeah, well, I see her all. I see almost every day. Right, right, or every other day at least. Right. Say hi to her. I think she's cute. Um, she's really nice, really sweet. Mm -hmm. Um. But that she doesn't look like that now. She's covered in fuel and covered yeah. in fire.
2: Yeah, she,
1: she's screaming, and I just I run to her, and there's this guy standing there uh, with his mouth like hitting the floor, not know what to do. And as I, I grabbed a BDU top from him, and I jumped on her, and I started smashing the flames out with this BDU top, and it started melting and it caught on fire, and I got rid of it, and that's when I started getting really really fucking mad like the most angry I've ever gotten in my life because the fire would not go out and this I'm talking about these are seconds five to seven seconds of trying to put this flame out so I just used my body my hands and I just you know smushed it as hard as I could to get it to stop and then I was screaming for a blanket I was screaming for fire extinguishers and I was doing all this at the same time and she kept saying you know just, just let me die just let me die and i was like fuck that we're not you're not gonna die in iraq right and so i i scooped her up and well i told her to get up actually she she stood up which i was like you can do this you're standing on your own two fucking feet and then i, I she fell and i grabbed her underneath my, my arms and stuff and her Uniform and flesh melted into my forearms, and I carried her to the aid station. And I put her on the. Everybody was running around, and acting like chickens with their head cut off, and I'm like, yeah. "We gotta get her intubated. Gotta <laughs> get her intubated." And I threw her on the bed and ripped her, ripped myself off of her because I was like stuck to her. Oh my god! And imagine what it was said. like it was the worst. Yeah. It was the worst feeling ever, and. So then I'm all like making sure she's getting this stuff done and people are trying to make sure that I'm getting taken care of. And I'm because I'm pissed off that nobody was doing what they're supposed to be doing in the first fucking place. And now you're going to act like you're doing what the fuck you're supposed to be doing. I was calling for certain people to be there. So I knew that she was being taken care of because some of these fucking medics don't know what the fuck they're doing. And so anyway, they they pulled me away from her and they said like the major's got it, the major's got it. He was a surgeon, pediatric yes. surgeon. So I was a like, major Isaacs, I, major Isaacs got it got it. You got it, sir. And then uh, I let I just said, you know, you, you all got y'all got this. And my lieutenant, Lieutenant Smith, I'll never forget him. He uh he he was a good friend to me after this. And he 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 pulled me to the side and he goes, hey, you're fucked up man I need to take care of your wounds and I was like what and I was like holy shit what the fuck holy shit you know my hands were like huge fucking blisters and my arms were all shredded and shit and I was like oh fuck so I let him you know he put some silver dang cream on me and wrapped up my arms I felt like uh, he wrapped my arms like like this right mm-hmm. <laughs> so I felt like <laughs> the fucking lobster boy <laughs> And um, anyway, so the commander, you know, the commander and the sergeant major and everybody showed up and everyone to know. And I was telling the story. And I was crying. I couldn't stop crying. Every time I heard her cry out in pain, I would start crying. I was, You know, the drilling was just flowing out of my fucking ears and I couldn't stop, you know, stop pacing and shit. And then the PA was like, hey, let me give you a morphine you uh, calm you down and take care of your pain. And I was, like, oh, I was like, I don't feel anything right now. I, you know, I I, didn't, and I couldn't feel anything. I was just, I was high
2: on yeah. adrenaline.
1: Right. You know, yeah. and when it, when the high wore off though, the pain, the pain up. hits. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then I got, due to like getting infection in Iraq, I got sent to Bamsey in the burn ward. But before that, you know, I was, I went to that, uh, main hospital in the green zone i forgot the name of it and i got debrided or debrided whatever you want to say it anyway they took the scrub brush and they scrubbed all the wounds with this green scrub pad thing yeah and they gave me they gave me ketamine (laughs) it's a hell of a drug ketamine i hope so if they're gonna fucking scrape you yeah it's a it's a dissociative drug so um (laughs) i was kind of sitting like see where that light is that's where my my soul was. <laughs> so I was looking down. I was looking down, but I was talking through my mouth. But I was looking down at me, going, "God damn! I bet that shit hurts." <laughs> you know. And then this fly landed on my shoulder, and you would have thought it was a buzzard. I was like, oh, "I was like, God
2: damn!
1: Who <laughs> that bird in here?" You know? they were like, "It's just a fly. It's the fly." And so they're trying to get the fly, and I was, was like, uh, and the first time was smiling at me, and his eyeballs were moving weird. <laughs> and I gave him a little You know little kiss um, <laughs> And then I went to, uh, Then me and her We went to You know Bamsey together
0: Oh really Yeah so okay, Let me back up Okay um, This obviously is what leads to you Being awarded the soldier's medal uh, But Did you guys ever figure out What How that Accident happened Like what caused that to her
1: Yes So Originally it was thought That a mortar round hit it And blew up
0: like the but, fuel line or something? or
1: No, the generator itself.
0: Oh, the generator. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the generator blew up. Oh, fuck. And it dumped all the fuel that she was putting into the generator oh, on her. Damn,
0: that's just the most and random. It ignited, fucking... everything.
1: It ignited yeah. everything. And then because there was a wall of fire that I walked yeah. into. When I saw her come out of the wall of fire, like Jason versus Freddy, you know.
0: Holy fuck, man. he comes
1: out of the cornfield and is on fire, that's what yeah. she looked like.
0: That's fucking
1: nuts. And where were where were we?
0: Well, I, I was asking what was the cause of the accident.
1: Oh, so she so somebody said something about a static discharge plate wasn't on wasn't turned on or off or something like that. And she wasn't wearing no mechs. She was wearing a regular uniform. And um, no glove and no eye protection.
0: Which is not hard to believe because we always look for shortcuts, right? I mean She'd probably done it. She'd probably done it multiple times with no issues. And this is the one time where,
2: yeah, because,
0: uh, and this is the next question I wanted to have because my, my girl actually brought it up while we were reading your, your citation for this or the memo for the soldier's medal is, um, as she read through it, she's like, I wonder what he must've thought when you, when he saw it. So what, do you recall anything? Like, did you second guess anything? Did you just immediately run towards it because you were frustrated with no one around her doing anything? Or did you just, it was just instinct.
1: All right. It was I ran toward her because I heard her scream. So right. you know
2: okay.
1: somebody's in trouble if you hear that. So I just that I didn't even think about it. I just
2: yeah, yeah. you
1: know, oh somebody's screaming and I run toward it. Then you ran into this wall of fire. You're like, holy fuck, you know, hails on hells here. And you you're thinking like, what the fuck's going on? And then she comes out and that's who's been screaming. You know, and I'm I'm about 15, 20 feet from her. Oh, so I'm, as yeah. I'm running towards her. I'm yelling at her. Get on the ground, roll, roll, roll. What's yeah. it? was cement. It was concrete. So it's not going to do shit. Yeah. It didn't do, it didn't do shit, and so that's why I had to just, I grabbed that BDU top. Yeah. And it melted, and then I started smashing flames out of my bare hands.
0: So, uh, so you guys, you said you went to this burn unit together. Um, how is she now?
1: she she passed away she passed away she passed away uh three months after
0: three months after so you know i mean man this fucking reminds me so much of what you guys are working on with the Sarn cash thing with the medal of honor right doesn't that, yeah. it sounds very familiar in that he kept returning to get you know to look after his soldiers and to pull them from that burning vehicle and he ended up dying a few weeks after that incident from the burns yeah. that's just amazing man like i i I feel so bad for her and her family but what you did man is i mean you at least bought her her more time you know what i mean
1: her family i wasn't i was in the i was in the burn board i wasn't on the same floor as her but her family found out that i was there and they came and said thank you to me
0: it's fucking amazing man that's amazing i i mean i i wish the story had a better ending but it's it's an amazing act that you did and um, especially, I mean, obviously I don't think you care whether, I don't, I don't know if you do care or not that you were, you know, cited for what you did, but I think that's what you did honestly embodies everything that you're taught from day one in basic training. Like, yep. like that's what that was. That was selfless service. That was honor. That was duty. That was all the, the army values that we, we get, you know, taught to us from day one, but that's what you did. And man, you did, you did the best thing in that moment for her and it, it bought her extra time and I hope she went peacefully, but And that's an amazing thing that you did and people don't understand that there's acts like yours that have gone unnoticed or unheard of for so long from this, you know, this war that, you know, maybe Iraq, it doesn't continue, but obviously this stuff's still going on in Afghanistan and throughout certain parts of the Middle East. But your story is something that's fucking amazing, man. And if I didn't know or come across you from Twitter and our silly little goon shit that we do once a week, I wouldn't know this story and I'm, I'm, I'm in the military with you. You know what I mean? So I wish there was better ways of sharing stories like this, even with us and not just, you know, the public at a whole. Yes. I think they should know, but I think more so, man, the fucking medics should know who the fuck you are and what you did. Like, cause this is what one day, unfortunately they may be called to do.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I don't, I don't expect a great reaction from you, man. I mean, I know it, it's hard to hear people talk about you, but I think it's it, like I said, man, I just want to reiterate that it's, it's, it's a story that people can learn a lot from in terms of putting an action to an actual value that we teach, which in my opinion, it, it's the, the definition of selfless service. That's what that was. Nothing in you said or had nothing required. Well, nothing would have said, Hey, you know what? Let me just put my entire life and my family at risk to go save someone else. But that's what you did. And most people don't. And you described there's people running around with their heads cut off, not knowing what to do, but you acted. And that was, you know, that uh, it's, it's, it's great that you had that in you to do. Cause a lot of people don't man soldiers are not, they just don't.
1: Yeah. I didn't, I, when I think about it, I, I think, I didn't think about my family, right? You don't have time. I didn't, about, I didn't think about what was going to happen to me if I if I acted. I didn't think about none of that bullshit because you don't have time to fucking no. think about that stupid shit. You no. just <laughs> got to do it, you know? Yeah. And but what what um, the the good things that came out of um, about this, um, like I told my story in depth to Bert Marqua. Who's a Fox News uh, reporter, mm-hmm. and he he put it in print, so it's on one of his op-ed prints. Uh, but yeah. see, he went he took it a step further, and he he found out that her home, Arnold Schwarzenegger, in her hometown. I forgot it's in the story, but I don't, I don't know if written the name. of it California. Yeah, she she got a post office named after her in a street, what and they it, had what was her name. Uh, Marisol Heredia. Marisol Heredia. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so that was good. And then with my PTSD from that incident, uh, being I was extremely afraid of fire, and I didn't want to cook out. You know, charcoals made me think about you know that, and fire made me think about that. And then. I didn't smoke for a while because fire made me think about that. And then, you know, I got tired of being fearful of fire because, you know, if somebody was to burst in the fucking flames, I would jump on them in a heartbeat. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it again, but but I will. This time I'll know exactly what's gonna happen. What's,
0: what's gonna happen? <laughs> Might know a better way of putting out the fire too. Shit, you know, yeah, man. Exactly.
1: You know. Uh, um, but so I, I was in. I was having a, lot, was a hard time. I was a platoon sergeant now. I was five six six ASMC in Fort Hood, and I that uh, was really rough. Uh, I was I was really rough, and I didn't I didn't accept a bunch of bullshit. And I fired a bunch of uh, NCLs for being too fat and nobody liked me always would say, I ain't here to be fucking liked. I ain't your goddamn friend. If you're too fucking fat to be in the army, I'm going to kick you out. Yeah. And if you're crying to me, I I don't give a fuck if you're a female, male, transgender, gay. I don't give a fuck. You can't do the fucking job. You're gonna get the fuck out of my arm.
2: You have no value. And
1: that's, the, that's the way I. And that's the way I had, and I was really, and I've done a lot of crazy shit, and I don't want to talk about that, but I got myself into some trouble, and, and you know, I, I drank too much, and, and so my my current wife, she she's like, you got to get help.
2: Yeah.
1: And I was <laughs> like, it, you know, I was I talked about the stigma of being. Having PTSD and nobody would, and you just had to get out of the army. And the army is the best thing for me. The army is my life, and I don't want to leave it.
2: Right.
1: And she said, "Well, you're not going to have me if you continue to do the things that you're doing." So, I went to Strong Star. Well a really good concept. Strong Star is mm-hmm. is uh, for PTSD. You go in and you you talk to the counselor, and you tell you, you pick one story you concentrate on one story at a time i picked this one Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um and you you tell it on the video that she records you and then you have a little tape deck and then you tell your story and you and you listen to it like three or four times a day afterwards until the story becomes like not passe but what's another word ordinary i guess i guess yeah okay ordinary ordinary story that you can tell without breaking down into emotional crybaby
2: yeah
1: like i do most of the time um, so i went through that and then you know my dad had always built my dad's a knife maker he's a machinist by trade yeah, so yeah, yeah. he's always doing the resourceful redneck engineering <laughs> like i can make a knife out of this horseshoe kind of thing and and i always thought that was cool and then i started thinking you know I was, the Forge and Fire was a big thing, and they're, they're making, like, shitty knives and selling them for lots of money. And I was like, man, I could do something better than that. So I got with my dad. I, I learned a lot of YouTube videos, and I, and I learned a lot of metallurgy just by fucking around with it. And then uh, I started doing it. You know, I built my own forge by hand with crap. And my first forge was a hole in the, in the ground. With old bricks around it, and I had a pipe that fed with a hair dryer, and then I had an old barbecue, a lid, and I poked holes in <laughs> and I set that on there. And I, and I Man, made this my, is my like medic. Bosnia all over again, man. You just I made my up shit. first, <laughs> I made my first couple of knives, and because uh, I mean, you resourcefulness is like second yep. hand for a medic. It better be. Yep. <laughs> it was for me. Because you gotta know improvise uh, life-saving, uh, you know, techniques.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: gotta be able to improvise. You're not gonna always have sailing solution. You're not always gonna have the cat tourniquet. You're not always gonna have Curlex. You know, you're gonna have. You, you're gonna be stuck in a situation where you ain't got shit but yeah. your shirt. Yeah. Maybe a pocket knife. If you're if you, if you're lucky and you thought about putting it in your pocket that day, you know that that kind of stuff. So you gotta mm-hmm. look everything can be made into something else and that's right. where my reuse, repurpose, re-engage comes yeah, in Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Um, I, I get a fine metal I used to you know, when I retired out of the military I was a contractor
2: yeah.
1: at, for range control and there's metal all over the place yeah. I, mean, yeah.
2: there's, I mean and they're just throwing it away and I'm like hey, can I have that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I have that? yeah well, uh, can I have that? Well, You're gonna to have to ask the boss. <laughs> <You know, laughs> I'll go, go ask the boss. To have to, I just don't shoot in the back of my truck and take it home every night. And I'll be like, God damn, I got lots, I got a lot of steel. And then we tore down this uh blast door from from this uh secret tunnel thing that's in Fort Hood. And uh, I got to keep all that steel, all that steel is from
1: 1947. 47. That's the good Detroit steel, yeah. <laughs> don't make that stuff. <laughs> yeah, they don't make it anymore. Nope, right? Those so days I, are I gone. A lot of it that, like when I make a special knife, yeah, it's going to come from that stock. <laughs> come from that door. But people donate to like uh, Gil, my friend Gil. Uh, he's given me a lot of like road grader blades and base plates for cranes. and big, I mean, really big stuff that I'm going to make big stuff out of. But that's why that's why I do what I do. So I I control I control that fire.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I make something pretty out of it. Right. Or badass or scary. Whatever
2: I want. And I want to get into
0: more of that, but I wanted to go back. Let me let me rewind real quick because you brought something up. And this was uh so House Resolution 4185 in the hundred and tenth Congress was to designate the post office named after Marisol Heredia in El Monte, California. El Monte, yeah. El Monte, yes, and that was signed into law. It looks like July fifteenth of two thousand and eight. So, probably one of the first thing, probably one of the first things President Obama did was sign that man. So that's um, that's that's legislation based all of behind, obviously all based in your actions. You know what I mean? So, unfortunately, yes, she did not go on to to survive that incident but she'll always be remembered because of what you did and that's i think that's pretty fucking awesome man
1: and well she was from fort hood oh really she was stationed at fort hood with three eight uh yeah artillery or some shit Mm -hmm. she has a memorial there and then when i was there for my last four years i'd I'd drive by it every time i mean i'd have to drive by because it was on my way to work
0: yeah yeah. That's, that's just a, that's, it's a legacy, man. That's what it is. It's a legacy item and it, it may not, it, I don't know how much it resonates with you at this moment, but at some point, um, people are going to be really uh, just, just proud to know like you were involved in that. You know what I mean? Especially, like I said, this is something that should be shared more so with our own community of not only just the medics, but soldiers should know this, this, here, here's what I remember, man. So like when I was a drill sergeant, any, any like major training event or, or, you know, you teach an individual movement drill or a tactic or whatever, or, or you talk about a, a value, you, you always have a vignette to go with it. You always have something to kind of, Hey, here's a real world application of this, man. That's the fucking, that is the epitome of selfless service is what you did. This should I don't know if it is, maybe it is. I don't know, but this should be taught at fucking fort sam houston like you, people should know what the hell you guys did or what you did for this soldier and be able to apply this value and be able to apply like hey this is what you need to know how to do maybe you need to fuck it i don't know if you already did or not but maybe you need to actually write the fucking sop on how to treat this fucking thing <laughs> because you know what i mean like you figured that out whether it worked or not i mean i'm just saying like this is a great story it's it soldiers medals don't exactly get handed out i i'm You're the first person I've known who have ever gotten one. Um, Colin
1: Powell has one. Who does? Colin Powell.
0: Oh, well, that's not bad company, right? (laughs) No,
1: Colin Powell has one from some kind of helicopter accident.
0: Really? So it's for heroism, but not under combat conditions, right? Is that essentially it?
1: It's the highest form of valor, or the highest word for valor, non-combat.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean clearly a big fucking deal like if you read about it hear your story about it it's it's an amazing story man i really appreciate you sharing it um I, I do want to get into the junkyard tactical stuff but people need to understand your whole story because not long after this you received a bronze star and a real one because like i said oh, and and, and yeah. you know, for people listening and who don't who aren't privy to the the weekly goon zooms where I, i've ranted more than once about you know The awards to this day, unfortunately, just don't have the meaning that they used to. Uh, A bronze star being a perfect example of it. Um, but yours, yours is legit. Yours is yours is very legit, and it and it covers your time back in Iraq again from uh, what was it, two
1: thousand nine to two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah, man. Mid team. -team.
0: Yeah, like going through all this. You, but you did so much, man. And not only was it just like you know the, the response to the ied but you were you were the nco ncoic of the fucking a psd and then a oh, personal security I wasn't the PSD. you were <laughs> or you weren't
1: i was i was the colonel's psd
0: yeah so you did that but then you were also like and people are going to read that and maybe not know what it is but then you were like the electronic warfare, warfare ncoic
1: yeah. like you did all kinds of shit man in that year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's- there's only there's only 10 of us and all those fucking things had to be sectioned you know Hey, somebody's got to so do them, right? <laughs> everybody had some kind of slice of the pie, and I was the, I was the youngest. No, I wasn't the youngest, but I was the uh, lowest rank.
0: Lowest rank, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, nah, I mean, yeah.
1: yeah so all I'll the bet, other but, thi- you know, were master starting above.
0: Yeah, but that's like a. So again, like I said, after the soldier's medal, so there there could have been time. Like you still had time left in the army. You still had more to give, and you gave more to the army, but. You already oh, yeah. documented the stuff that you're going through with the PTSD and, and things like that, but you went back for another deployment. So well, I, I
1: volunteered volunteer for this one.
0: Okay, and and there was no issues with that. Nobody even the command was like, uh we're gonna leave you back." It was
1: no, because you know I was when I left 114 Cav, I went to Fort Sill, and at Fort Sill I was real quiet. Yeah, it was a, a trade off. So I was yep. teaching basic trainees. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, I was teaching basic trainees cls and i fucking just tore them up well that's what you do (laughs) and they love they love me for it yeah they love me exactly and i at the end of each thing they each day they want me to tell stories and i would tell them stories and i would tell them the fucking truth right and they they loved it they ate it up and I, i remember like i would tell my i would tell snippets of my story when we talked about how to treat burns
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then everybody, everybody wanted me to teach their burn class. And I did. Um, cause I wanted them, I wanted those anybody cause I would always go, give me a show of hands of who the, who the medics are in this group. You know, I get yeah. like, thirteen, 13 guys that are medics. I'm like, do you know what the fuck you're getting into? You know? <laughs> well, well, oh I think that, you know, I'm going to be working in a hospital because my, <laughs> my recruiter said that i was gonna be you know, i'm like that motherfucker lied to you because you're probably gonna be on the line because everybody goes to the line yeah They're like, well what's the line sergeant <laughs>
0: <laughs> total line we're right back at that and uh we'll we'll await for the the connection to return but i'm with uh talking to sergeant first class retired uh larry to he is going over his his stories of uh, winning the the soldier or being awarded the Soldier's Medal. Uh, we're briefly discussing the Bronze Star Medal that he was awarded as well for his time in Afga- or in Iraq. Um, I'm going to try and raise him over on the Twitter side of things because he may have uh, just had a, connect- a connectivity issue. Um, if he comes back, he does. There he is. Is he back? What happened? I don't know. I think I think you uh, forgot to pay the internet bill, man. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, it's yeah. the internet cafe. You remember in Baghdad, like you only get oh, 10 yeah. minutes and it cuts you off. That's what that was. So yeah. So, um, I but hated. I was curious though when you when you're when you were doing that, do you think that helped you kind of get through everything? Because you you talked about how retelling the story and makes it normal. So did you you yeah, training I, these soldiers? Did that kind of help with that?
1: Yeah, but I wasn't I wasn't telling them like. I wasn't thinking about helping them, I was thinking about scaring them. Right. Okay. Yeah. With reality. Yeah. I d did, I didn't want I didn't want their heads to get filled with a bunch of bullshit. Right. Because I knew each, one, each one of those motherfuckers was going to Iraq. Yeah. Or Afghanistan. And what year was whatever, this? Two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So,
0: okay, so yeah, you're right. Because this was the surge
1: back into Iraq. So yeah, you're right. they yep. were Yeah. And there the truck drivers would always go. So I'm going to be a truck driver. Am I going to see action? Oh, uh, you're like, going to see the most of it. You're fucking on <laughs> convoys every day. <laughs> I said, I said uh, you better learn how to fucking shoot. Exactly. Fucking
2: convoy.
1: And, and if you get time, you learn how to jump up on that gun.
2: Yeah.
1: Because they, they're going to blow your shit up. They're going to blow your fucking vehicle up. and You're going to be assed out and you may die. Yep. So you might want to reevaluate your life. Because right now, everybody in convoys, are the ones who yeah. are getting hit the most. Right. And that's and what I think, would, like... They would be like, oh, fucking shit. Oh. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: that was the big thing, though, with all of this, right, man? Like, all of OIF, like, people realized there was... there there was It was the complete deterioration of an actual front line. Because of what oh, yeah. you described, right? Everybody convoyed every day, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and, and that's what I told them. I said, the battlefield is 360. You never know when it's going to be around you. Mm-hmm. And I said, you joined the army for a fucking reason. And it better not have been for college money. (laughs) You signed a dotted line that you're going to, you could give your life for your country.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. So you need to recognize that. And when you get into that situation, you need to be calm, cool, and collected, which that means you're going to be scared, but not scared shitless. Right. You're going to be able to move through the fear and I'll follow it up with you're going to be able to pull through and do what you need to do because you're going to love that guy next to you or you're going to love that girl next to you and you're going to want to see them succeed and them live so you're going to do your damnedest to make that happen and they're going to do the same fucking thing for you cuz they're feeling the same fucking thing
0: yeah that's 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 just man I'm fucking ready to go right now let's go let's go back <laughs> fucking like fired up, up. <laughs> yeah no, that's awesome, man. Like, And I think it's, it's a great point that uh, it's a rallying thing and hopefully it registers and, and people recall on those things. But you're right because, I mean, yes, the infantry is going to find the things that the infantry does and all those other door kickers and heavy hitters and what those, what, what those people sign up for. But what we need to realize is that for many, many years, especially in, not so much as in Afghanistan, I think, but definitely in Iraq uh, because there's just way more ground operations, is that it found, the, it found the average soldier if there is a thing. You know what I mean? Like, combat found them, whether they were ready for yeah. it or not.
1: You know what I mean? And that's, that's – I know. A- we had a PFC that was like M&M. He didn't <laughs> give a shit about nothing. He he was always getting in trouble. And I, forget, I, forget, I think his name was Smith, uh, PFC Smith. He got a silver star when we got ambushed oh, wow. in Mosul. He laid down – he was a saw gunner. He skinny motherfucker, too. I mean, you wouldn't <laughs> think he would mount to a hill of beans. <laughs> but that motherfucker is nuts the size of Kansas. So he laid down, covering fire, saved his platoon sergeant from getting shot with RPGs and AK 47. Yeah. Um, I was on the corner. Uh, I was on the corner. My striker was like this way. Mm-hmm. And then the fighting was this way. Yeah. And right behind me, I had a, a MGS platoon. And we were always scanning rooftops. And listening to radio for casualties, and I hear with the radio, "We're launching a tow," and I hear the commander go, "Roger," and then, fucking tow missile changed the course of the battle. That tow missile uh, took out this gun, a ten speed, who had an AK forty seven, and was riding back and forth the alleyway. He got vaporized, and then the and then the because you could see the camera. And then it went into this van where they were all hiding behind. It blew up that van and the building behind it. <laughs> then they were all from Iran. There was fifteen of them. Oh, what a shock! All they were off from Iran, and then the police officers that were there uh, helping us said that they were off from Iran. So we just left their bodies in the street, and then they rotted. Wait,
0: so you're trying to tell me that there was people from Iran operating in Iraq? Oh no, yeah. Iranian no special way. Forces. Iranian. No
1: Iranian. way. <laughs> Iranian special forces. I can never
0: pronounce special that like word. Are, what,
2: like, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm special like, you know, short bus. What is it that the cuds for, I can never pronounce that word. Q U D S the cuds, cuds, quids, whatever.
1: Oh no, um, there's bodies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, but no, that's, that's another great story is, is uh, these are, these are other stories that people need to know, man, in this country. And they just don't like a silver star is a big fucking deal. Like these things matter. And I don't think the average person like, look what we're talking about now, as we transition into you with the junkyard tactical sorry, in first class, Alan cash, the, 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 guy we're pushing so hard for right now to pressure the Senate, the house, whoever to get this man, his due with the medal of honor already awarded a silver star yes but uh his actions if you read the citation deserve more than that oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know i mean and i think we're, we was, think we're close yeah it's just frustrating man to see what it is but i want you to, to kind of tell the story about what you guys
1: did for the for the the mural so uh with stocking Mill coffee uh my friend eddie he he runs Stocky Mill coffee i i help him out with the uh, the business a little bit i mean i don't i'm not a co-owner or anything but yeah. I, I do art and yeah. i make weapons and stuff for, for him um anyway so we're pretty good friends and he says that we're we're gonna raise money for alvin cash and so i didn't know who alvin cash was so i had to
2: right. i read up
1: on alvin cash and then when i read the story i was like well fuck <laughs> hell yeah yeah this i know i know what this motherfucker went through yeah, he went through it time six. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to do whatever I can to raise as much money as I can. So, my Mountain Beaver on Twitter, he makes uh, handles and stuff, stuff out of wood and walking sticks and stuff. And I said, Will you make me a handle? I got this, I got this, um, I got this steel that I can put into like a mace. You know, we can auction it off. And he was like, Yeah do it so he sent me the thing and then i made the mace and then we auctioned it on twitter and we got a lot of hits i mean 600 dollars was the final offer that's awesome and so i gave that 600 i gave the whole 600 dollars to the fund um and then we had some other ideas where, i mean but, it's, I mean, the money's already raised. We raised $7,000. That's amazing. There's another that's guy. What's awesome, the, other guy the, the other guy's name that's in the same – Kendrick?
0: In uh, in Florida?
1: Yeah. There's another MOH guy. Oh, you're so talking about um, Sarn Miller.
0: Is it Miller?
2: Yeah. Well, Robbie so Miller?
0: Uh, the guy – Sergeant Robbie Miller, the guy from uh, Sanford, That's or that same area up there. So
1: we're going to – I'm making a tomahawk for – for auction for that, for that, maybe we can raise some money. So we're raising money for that one next, once we get done with the Alvin Cash thing. Um, Eddie's contacted uh, the mayor in the hometown of Alvin Cash and got uh, the program running for getting the street signs or the street sign named after him. Uh, the artist uh, will be paid to do the Magnificent Mural. And we got a guy on the ground out there is, I don't know his real name, but looking over strange terrain.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Javier, Javier Mackey. Yeah. So
1: Javier Mackey is yep. is on the ground there, and I guess he'll be like overseeing the condo and making yeah. sure it's. He was the one
0: that he was with, if you, if you listen to the, the podcast I did with him, but he was with Sar Miller on his tour or when that, that, his citation for the Medal of Honor happened. So yeah, very okay, emotional cool. that, man. that, man.
1: Yeah. So we're going to get, we're going to try to get the same thing done for him. Uh, and the mayor's already said yes on the street signs, So it, it could happen. I think, and, that, you that, know, having like, having a platform, you know, helps, helps, you know, bring awareness like your platform <laughs> helps bring awareness to all these issues that, you know, that veterans are having or um, like righting wrongs, um, yeah. seeing people get recognition that they deserve, you know, when they're like sitting there quiet and not really caring. But they uh, they they're out there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and their story needs to be told. And I I read uh, Braxton McCoy's book, mm-hmm. and I, I I was just amazed. I was like, that motherfucker is hardcore. Yeah, he, it's he it's, to- it's a great fucking book. <laughs> yeah. he, he he earned. I mean, he earned my respect like the day I I I, I, I talked to him on Twitter yeah and face to face and then because I, you know, I hadn't read the book yet I, all i heard was like snippets and stuff and then i, I watched a youtube thing where he was reading parts of his book and i was just like damn man i didn't have i didn't have to go through that much shit yeah. Yeah, I, I, was burned, <laughs> I was burned like uh 50 18 of my body was was uh mostly second degree burns like all one big fucking burn. And I had some third-degree burns on my fingertips, but, you know, I wore rubber gloves. I wore rubber gloves up, up to my elbow. Uh-huh. And there were – I had them – because the doctor said, you wear these rubber gloves, and we're going to fill them with silver cream, and he gave me these little balls to squish, and I, I just laid in bed and squished these balls. He says, if you don't want to have scars or you want to get uh, – you want to have to go through uh, – Graphing and all that shit yeah do what i tell you to do and you'll heal up properly
2: so and how are you down oh
1: I, I, well, I have tattoos covering up the brown okay the brown thing, thing but i i mean my hands my hands kind of fucked up I broke yeah. my finger see that mm-hmm. yeah but um my my hands are good it's my brain that that's my brain that got fucked up the most
2: right
0: I mean you seem Yeah, right, I mean you're 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 much better off at least with this than from some of the people I've seen for who've gone through far less. So I mean at least I, I would say you probably got some you know, you, your brain may be hurt and damaged, but I, I would say it's still pretty damn strong, man.
1: Oh yeah. And then you know, I I, I take my frustration and anger out on that metal. That metal right.
0: exactly. You have a great it, outlet. It sits
1: there, it sits there in my little bin, but it doesn't know it's about to get his ass whooped. <laughs>
0: that might be another thing though i mean it 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 ties into the the i think probably the theory that you got to have an outlet i mean if you don't you're just you're going to take it out on yourself or the people around you and and you at least can channel your you know your your experiences and your your energy through what you said creating something out of nothing or something that's been discarded
1: yeah i can pretty much make a weapon out of anything i always go back to that charlie manson once said Uh, I could take this book and beat you to death with it (laughs) you know the the spine of a book can do a lot of damage to you Mm -hmm. if you don't write right Uh, and being resourceful everything that I see I like it can be a weapon if I tweak it somehow Mm -hmm. I'm going to jab it in your neck or I'm Mm going to you know get you in the gut with it or take out your legs with it or take out your eyes with
0: it (laughs) you're not in your body
1: because I won't need it anymore, mm-hmm. and then I can get away from you.
0: I can't remember where I saw it, but someone it was along the lines of what you said. Is uh, it's like eyeglasses? I can take the plastic off of the eyeglass frame, yeah, and I can stab yeah. you in the eye with that. Like you're right, but you you can you can take anything and you can turn it into a weapon. And so I guess that would be my next question: would be what's the what's the most unique item you've turned into a weapon or what's kind of like the one thing you're like, ha, I'm I'm pretty proud of that one.
2: Oh, well,
1: it's mainly been all that blast door steel from that. That's pretty cool, man. How much of that you got left? Uh, I have, I'm probably about, if I do swords, I probably got about 10 swords. If I do knives, I probably got about 50 knives.
0: what do you you like making the most a knife or a sword
1: uh i like making uh, a badass short sword that comes with an instruction on how to use it (laughs) properly. do you write the instruction (laughs) yeah well i'll tell you like if you buy it i will tell you i'll i'll I'll, like i've done before i videotaped me actually using it okay because i'll build it i'll build it in a certain way that you know it, it like you put your hand on on the The spine a certain way because it your your palm fits perfectly right there, and then you could you know slash downward and then you come up and I'll just it it, it comes to my it comes to me this this weapon's gonna be able to be used like this. This is gonna be the better way to use it. weapon. And Mm -hmm. then you know I make knives that are just like for cutting shit, but I like to make knives that are like easily defensible inside this zone. Yeah, your hands are all. Right here. Never out here.
2: Right.
1: You can see. Never out here. You never use a knife out here. You always use a knife right here. Yeah, cl- right. Yeah. Right here. And then it's all it's all the organs that you need to get a hold of are right there under his armpits. Inside his rib cages, underneath his bottom ribcage, his neck, his eyes, his mouth, underneath his chin. All those things are right here.
0: Spoken like a true medic. (laughs) And so so you learned this stuff. One of my
1: favorite movies. One of my favorite movies that that kind of got me a little little inspired was The Hunted. Okay. Okay, so that's about making knives. Yeah. For for survival. And then, you know, the bad guy, or he he was I was actually was siding with the del Toro guy. He made a pretty badass knife out of a piece of railroad steel Mm -hmm. and he just, he fucked it up. He, he really did a good job. And then, you know, the other guy made a knife out of uh, Flint. And he won, but out of sheer will. So will in a fight is is the thing that, that wins. The, the will to live, the, the will to survive, the will to kill your enemy before right. he kills you. Yeah.
0: And, and, have, and having the best knife
1: helps too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, not necessarily because uh, he's got the better knife and I kill him. I'm taking it. So That's, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so hey, you learned how to do
0: this from you. You said your dad. Yeah, my dad. How did he learn?
1: Uh, he, I mean, being a machinist and just okay. fucking around like
2: this. Kind of... He's like, instead
1: of I, my dad's. Uh, for lack of a better term, redneck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> redneck, where I come from is a a hard working motherfucker. Yeah. And that's all they do is work to supply their family with a, you know, a a good life. Right. And my dad liked to have fun too. (laughs) And, um, and he liked to reuse things Mm -hmm. because we didn't have a lot of money. So if he wanted a knife, he'd make his own. Yeah. You know, and he figured out a way to do it because he's got all the tools at work. And if somebody throws away a good piece of steel, he knows it's a good piece of steel, he's probably going to make a knife out of it and take it home.
0: That's awesome, man. That's... that's.
1: But he didn't, like, forge anything because a lot of the steel, you know, that he he was around a nuclear power plant, it's pretty... It's a high-tensile, high-carbon, already fucking case-hardened steel. So a lot of his knife-making stuff is just like uh, what do you call it he just kind of carved it out
2: yeah with the
1: saw blades and stuff I, I do that too I'll find a piece of steel and I'll look at it and go oh I already know what that knife's going to look like based on the way this piece, mm-hmm. the steel shape and then I'll make little tweaks to it with my hand grinder and then I'll take it to the forge I'll heat it up beat it. I'll beat the bevel a little bit and then the point and Make sure the spine is straight and it's got a good handle, and then I take it back to the um, my shop and clean it up real good. And then I I do my artistic work on it, which is mm-hmm. stencil. I, I I stipple with the hand grinder, and I just kind of take the hand grinder and I just go brruh, 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 until I get it <laughs> like I want it. I look at it and I'm like, oh, needs a little bit more. I'll and then I'll twist and turn and get a little deeper in one, and a little lighter one, and look deeper in another, and make it real, all these hills and valleys and stuff. And then I take it to the, you know, sanding. I, I do a sanding stage, and then I take it to the acid stage, and I and I put it in acid for like eight hours until it gets black. And when it's when it's a certain color, black, I'll I pull it out. I'll clean it up with the baking soda and water, and then I'll drench it in oil or three-in-one oil. And then I let it sit there for a little bit. And then once it's dry, I'll take the thousand grit sandpaper and the patterns just explode. And everybody thinks it's Damascus. And I'm like, it's not Damascus. It's not folded steel. It's it's me making those, yeah. you know, those little patterns. Um, because when the acid takes off all those little bitty uh marks that looks it makes it look like a, a hand grinder did it and the sanding too so and then it gets black so then you sand it down real good and the, all the shiny parts the, the, all the top parts kind of make the patterns and the contrast and it all just like makes a badass looking knife and that's what and then, and that, you are know, and
0: that that's um uh, so do you still have the first knife you made or did you sell it
1: oh um, no i sold that one did i got pictures was- of it. but <laughs> I, I sold it yeah uh I was working at, um, at at the place on Fort Hood okay. with uh, the leader of uh, JSOC. And his name was, you know, D.B. And that's all I'm going to say. But he liked it so much that he was like, uh, I'll buy it from you. So and I, And so I mailed it to him. And he sent me back a letter and a card that says, thank you. And with, with the cash. Right. <laughs> and I, I still have it on. I have that on my shop wall. That's my first, the first no, money yeah, first that's card, awesome. first yeah. thank you. And um, I, I really love that job. I wish it had never ended because I like training soldiers right. for like clandestine underground warfare. <laughs>
0: and now so you you, see you're making the knives um
1: you are retired from the army yeah Um, i retired in 2015 No, last tour of duty was uh 566 asmc what's the smurf missions
0: so okay so I'm, i'm more focused on the junkyard tactical thing what um man i had what the hell the fuck was i gonna ask you what uh <laughs> wh- where are you trying to take it like is is this something you're trying to to grow but, through business or you is this just purely a, a a hobby and a passion that just kind of so it's always going to be a hobby
1: it's always yeah. going to be a hobby and a passion and i don't want i the the genre of knife making that i'm in it can't grow any bigger than i want it to right because everything's made by hand Mm -hmm. the bevels are made by hand with a file the handles are made by everything's made by hand there's no production right okay yeah i am i'm the production yeah exactly so i don't buy blanks and put handles on them and sell them yeah a lot of knife makers you know they'll go to the knife maker place they'll buy a pre-made blank they'll tweak it they'll buy scales they'll sand them down and then make a pretty sheath, or buy a sheath that'll mm-hmm. fit. And then they sell it for ungodly amounts of money. Well, also, I mean, I like selling the veterans because I give them the you know, the veteran discount, which uh, I'm very, you know, if you want a knife really bad and you really can't afford $120, but you can afford 60 or you can afford 80. And you're like, what can you do for 80? I'm like, well, I can make you the same fucking knife, you know,
2: yeah.
1: pay me, you know, pay me whatever you can. I'm going to make you a knife. and then, there's a, I have so many knives I have to make, and I'm sorry. All these people have been waiting <laughs> so long for their fucking knives. Um, there's a laundry list of, of that's people, good, but I, I hey, am working that's a, on them. That's a, yeah,
0: that's a good problem to have.
1: <laughs> I have, I just made a knife the other day that someone's going to be really happy with and it's a, like a drop point tier, point looking thing just mm-hmm. came to me one day and i was like you know i think that my is gonna like this knife this one my friend, is gonna be sharp do you
0: have any knives that can kill cats with yeah because <laughs> i got this cat right now that's just running around just waiting to be knifed not well, that i
1: would ever do that to the poor cat but yeah you gotta you should probably take out <laughs> some cats from a long distance away <laughs>
0: i agree those little fuckers are they, they've got four knives on each paw um, so where can they find you?
1: Where, where, where's your, uh, social media website? So what do you, what do you got? I have a website and it needs to be updated and I apologize. It's not the, the best and there's nothing to buy on there. What you do is you go on the website and at the bottom you fill out this, uh, like a request form request yeah. and I you commission a knife and then okay. I, it goes to the email and then I talk to you. Uh, every customer that I've ever had, I talk to them and I tell them a little bit about their knife because their knife has soul. Their knife has a um, character. And mm-hmm. I want them to understand like what I went through to make it. That's awesome. Man. But I do have conversations with them. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so and, and then, so what is that website?
1: It's junkyard-tactical.com.
0: Okay. And do you have an Instagram, some social media? I have that.
1: Instagram at junkyardtactical and I have. My famous Twitter at junkyard It
0: is very famous. He is <laughs>
1: does great things I on Twitter. I, I do most of my business on Twitter. And if you're going yeah. to use Twitter and you want to follow me, that's great. Uh, I may or may not follow you back, uh, based on your profile. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will. I don't block anybody. And if you if you send me a message or something, you want a knife, then I will say, "Well, DM me." And then we'll talk price, and we'll talk like what you want. And then I usually go on Vimo, and they yeah. Venmo, Once they Vimo me the money, it's a done deal, and I I, I make the knife. Now, that's where the waiting comes in, and p- some people don't understand the wait because I actually I have a job. You know, I, I work Monday through Friday, and um, even though I'm retired, you know, I have a lifestyle that I have to keep, in and in a hot wife that I have to make sure that she <laughs> is cared for. Uh, yeah. You know? So I, I, I do work. So I only get to do this on the weekends Okay. and I I blast as many things out as I can on the weekends. And it's, it's hard on my body too. So. Yeah. I believe it.
0: How long does it take you to make a knife?
1: What's the, what's the average time to make one? If I was uninterrupted, I could probably make a knife in like five hours, five hours. All right.
0: And since you are interrupted, so you're looking at, it's probably it's, a, it's a couple of
1: weeks for pretty, someone to get a nice Three months, maybe. Sometimes it takes three yeah. months, depending on how big the blade is. Yeah. You know, it, it takes a really fucking long time to take uh, an angle and a file and mm. file that blade down. Sh- almost sharp. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever I don't do on the forge by, you know, tapping the, the metal right. down, I have to correct all that and make it all pretty with the file. So, do
0: you wish you were like living a thousand years ago and you could have your own blacksmith shop?
1: (laughs) If if I was living a thousand years ago, I'd probably be like the guy with the most badass sword that can, you know, fix it and apply. Yeah. (laughs) But if you think about it, what you're doing,
0: man, is it like it was no faster back then, right? Like,
1: oh, hell no. It is what it is. Like, hey, I know you want to buy a sword. The craftsmanship is amazing. It's like, how the fuck did they do all that? Yeah. You know? They, but it's, it's like you had, said
0: though it's probably the the technique probably hasn't really changed that much i mean you it, no. there's one there's a way to make it this is how you make it and it takes time and it takes effort it takes blood and sweat and and energy and creativity but there's no fast way to do it there's no mass production of that
1: and i wanted to prove this fact on naked and afraid oh shit and uh i i want to do it so bad but You know, the bugs. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's fair. fair. (laughs) You know, but I I had this idea that I wanted to go to Africa. I wanted to be on the plains of Africa. And I want to take, they're like, what did you bring with you? It's like, I'm bringing a magnet. (laughs) What the fuck are you going to bring a magnet for? I'm like, I'm going to drag it behind me. And when we get to our place, I'm going to have enough steel to make a fucking sword. (laughs) And then we're going to build a fire. And then I'm going to make a knife with rocks. And then we're gonna, you know, I'm gonna get some. I'm gonna go kill a deer with my bare hands, and then I'm gonna wrap it, send <laughs> you for a handle, and then it's gonna be fantastic. And I'm gonna be the first guy on naked and afraid to actually make a knife. And you'll be, and you'll be I naked. Out of steel, and I'll, I'll do it naked. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> we're gonna do it naked. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, well. I think you should
0: do it. I don't think you should wait any longer. Just fucking petition. Go for it. I know. Man. I think Let's I am. For
1: it. uh-uh. It's it's becoming a thing right now.
0: Yeah. well there we are so we got uh, like I said we got Sergeant first class retired Larry Takel, soldiers oh, medal oh, bronze star cool oh, Ark tactical the founder star. what's that
1: we can talk about how I got the bronze star
0: yeah let let go for it man tell us how you got that oh, thing it's a so, real bronze star that wasn't one of these like ones like so, i said that for getting for for filing a lot of emails
1: I was on a 10-man mid-team, so the Special Forces were spread thin during this time in 2009, 2010. They were spread so thin, and they had had a lot of missions going on. So Mm -hmm. the Army took um, all volunteers of calibers of of soldiers, and they brought them together in these mid-teams. Each one had 10, and each one had a medic or a gunner kind of guy with a machine gun. Kind of like the
0: precursor to the SFABs, right, you think? today do you are you familiar with the s yeah yeah like, yeah the, probably something similar right teams self-sufficient, self-sufficient the, teams mid-team. essentially of like a squad right that's right okay so
1: we all get we all went to kansas and we all got cross-trained on everybody else's job yeah so i learned how to shoot the 50 cal the 240 i learned all about maintenance on the vehicles i learned about um all the digital warfare shit and then i became the end so that there you go and then um uh, The like communications when a combo guy was teaching us all about. We had this badass little fucking satellite phone that had a you could throw it out in the dirt and it would do some transformer shit and turn into a satellite. Trying to remember what we did. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the fucking name of that
0: thing. I know what you're talking
1: about though. And so we we had all this shit, and then I I got to go to an extra two weeks of crash course in PA school called advanced trauma in Fort Sam Houston. And I had to learn every fucking drug known to man, every contraindication and indication of all drugs. I had to to do like this super medic, super B uh, training where it was all about like March and uh, TC3 and tourniquets and how to properly stock your A-bag and uh, uh, what's the other thing? IFAC? Well, you know, you're in charge of making sure everybody has one and it's fully stocked.
0: Oh, so you're talking like your level. Yeah, I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, being resourceful uh, resourceful, being resourceful uh, and telemedicine. Okay. Um, so I had I had like 10 doctors in my back pocket wherever I was. And if I had my laptop, I also had like a, like a 75 inch plasma screen TV, too, um, that made it all the way through the deployment.
2: And nice. if I
1: needed a doctor, and I, I could have him on my la- on this laptop uh, telemedicine anywhere in the world through that satellite. This is device.
0: crazy, which is because that's what people are doing today.
1: Yeah, I know. And I was like, <laughs> it was like the precursor for all that yeah. shit. Oh, no, that's right. And um, so we lived with the Iraqis. Uh, we lived inside the Iraqi army, six two I eight, first out of in Mosul. You know, the special forces barracks are all the way to the back in Mosul and Marez. Mm-hmm we lived there and then um i saw we all saw our counterparts all day long and i trained i trained iraqis to be medics i, I trained i took their um sponges and and they soaked up all the little bit of knowledge that i could give them and i we didn't have like training aids and i would be like i want to buy some training aids and colonel would be like nah we don't need we don't need that you know you just tell them you just talk to them tell them what the stuff is and i was like no i'm not satisfied with that so we had you know we had these big huge connex things that had like all of our weapons and shit in it, and it had all this foam so i kind of carved the dude out of foam and then i took like old uniforms and i made a soldier and then i made like uh tertiary wounds and lacerations and um Bullet wounds and exit wounds and stuff like that, and I took it to the Iraqis and we trained on how to pack these wounds. And my colonel was really—he's like, "Wow, you just made that shit!" And I was like, "Well, you wouldn't buy it, you know." So I had to make it. You know, I want them to learn. <laughs> and The best yeah. way for them to learn is like actuality. So if they're learning how to actually push something into a hole that's full of blood, that's what I want them to learn. Right. You know? So, I did that, and then you know we moved from. 62IA to uh Diala Police Department. And there we were like CSI. It was like CSI. Dude. Mm-hmm. The Colonel was all about we gotta train them how to be investigated. Like there was a, a guy blew up himself on the it was on the video camera, right? He blew himself up at this hospital. And then the Colonel, first thing Colonel said was, If you're out there, uh, Colonel Metz, uh, I'm sorry, um, so <laughs> He blew up. We saw his face. You know, he he blew himself up. And we're like, we're going to go get a DNA sample. I was like, what? what a DNA sample? <laughs> we already know who the fuck did it. You know
2: what I'm saying?
1: But anyway, we go we go there, and we're scraping these body parts off the side of this wall that's like little pieces of gray mud stuck all over the place and bones. And his jawbone was under the overhang. And uh, there's so many flies. Uh, oh, my God, it was nasty. But Diallo was good because I, I was like the, the PSD. I was the personal security detachment for the colonel. And everywhere the mm. colonel, I, I went. Uh, I was a fully loaded uh, medic with everything that I needed to survive an encounter with uh, piss poor Iraqis. <laughs> I could kill Iraqis, I could kill the enemy, and I could save the colonel's life and or anybody else's life that I needed to save. And I had enough gear to at least save three to six people. And if I could, I could stretch it out, you know, to 10.
0: Did you go through like the 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 PSD training, like the training course for that? Or did they just... Uh, we had to go through
1: a PSD. The yeah. PSD. At uh, Kansas.
0: That's cool. Yeah, no, because if you're talking about Braxton earlier about his book, and I remember when I had him on the podcast, they, they did that. He did a, a train up. I feel like Braxton's unit was kind of ahead of the times, man. I, I know he was in the Utah Guard, um, and, and he was in Ramadi in 2006. I, I feel like his training must have been in 2005. But I feel like those guys, like his guard unit, um, a lot of those guys were kind of at the – I think they were ahead of the times. in in, in all honesty because i don't think psd became a very normal if i hate to say it but a normal thing and something that dedicated training dollars were put to until well after that probably even after when you did it um so no i think that's great man because it's it's very fucking valuable especially with the all the fuck what what is the 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 green on blue attacks or whatever the hell they want to fucking call them today like there's too much of that stuff that goes on
1: yeah. You know, there was a lot. Then the mid team was a, a lot of counterinsurgency. I mean, we yeah. went through three different counterinsurgency courses, and and then culture classes. You know, yep. learning learning, not just the language, but their ticks. They're reading them psychologically. Yeah. Uh, because we were prepared, because we we're out there by ourselves, and right. they didn't want us, you know, to get shot by some or blown up by some, uh, douchebag who you know, didn't like Americans. Yeah. Uh, what to look for, because you, you didn't want to, you know, one of the guys you're training to to blow you up. So you're looking at people's eyeballs, you're looking at people's hands, their 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 mouths, uh, their body language. Um, if they're not talking, if they're talking too much, you know, you're looking at all this stuff. You I would call it blueprint. Because I mean, you yeah. blueprint motherfucker, yeah. and it's sure. like, okay, that guy's not a threat, or that guy's not a threat, or that guy may be a threat. So I'm going to yeah. watch this. Yeah,
2: that's what's
0: that's that's what's so um, just disheartening. I would say is uh, the root of these attacks. Most of them are from guys you or someone in your unit has gotten close to. Like it's very rare that it's some random attack because you can't a random person just can't get that close to this individual that you're protecting. So when any of these attacks, these insider attacks take place, it's generally with someone who you've spent time getting to know, trained with, taught, whatever it is.
1: It's ultimate betrayal because yeah, you, you talk to them about your family.
0: Exactly, you shared, you know silly little that's a different type, type of evil man it. like that's a special kind of evil i think
1: yeah it's always best to catch them in the act before they can do any damage and just yeah. destroy their fucking soul
0: because um I, I when i was in afghanistan in 2013 2014 there there was an insider attack and i just remember reading about it and it just it blew my mind in how like i just remember coming my, my takeaway from it was man this is fucking sad because after all, the, yeah. at this point, we, we that we were in year thirteen and fourteen at the time. I'm like, man, this is this is is still something we're fucking dealing with, given all the sacrifice, all the investment. Like, really, this this is this is what we're still and, having to fucking deal with. And they
1: know that we're there to help them. Yeah, it's just those assholes that you know they've drinking the Kool Aid, you know, mm-hmm. all of it, and they're to do anything that they have to to stop us even if they think we're right. You, know, right, you know, sometimes, sometimes these people got families that have knives to their throats and if they don't go yeah. through with this, they're going to die, which yeah. they die anyway, but they're not going to know that because yeah. they're blown up. You exactly. you know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, I mean, that's another,
0: that's a story for another time. Probably we'll tell it on the next zoom we get together with on, but man, I really want to just, I, I want to thank you for obviously spending as much time as you did and, and, and telling your story to whoever hears this and, I think, like I said, more, not just Americans need to know your story, but fucking the fucking the, the soldiers in the United States army need to know this story. Uh, y- your, your tale for being awarded the soldier's medal and then the, the bronze star, man, like I said, you, you, you were awarded the one that's still legit. Um, awards have deteriorated over the time of we've been in all of these operations across the world since 2001. Um, You know, but reading reading your citation and what went into it, I think you you absolutely earned it, and uh, I I am generally thankful and appreciative for everything you've done, man. And and again, thank you for coming on. And uh, I appreciate you. Yeah. And the last question I got for you, man, is how was that fucking pumpkin beer you got going on over there?
1: Actually, it's a good good sipping beer. Yeah. Good. It's got like cinnamon and nutmeg.
0: Fancy. Very, very festive. Very Thanksgiving-ish.
1: It's pureed pumpkin in the bottom.
0: Ooh. <laughs> All right. So that was that was uh, retired Sergeant First Class Larry Takel, the Sergeant, or, pff, yes, he's a Sergeant, the Soldier's Medal recipient and Bronze Star Medal recipient again. Thank you for your time, man. And, and uh, we'll see you in a few weeks on this Zoom thing, brother.
1: All right. All right, All right man. Brother, thank you. I appreciate everything.